Yeah, very good song. And uh, this morning, uh, the message is the more excellent way. And of course, those of you that are Bible students know where that's from, over in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it uh, precedes the love chapter, doesn't it? Uh, it's the last thing that Paul says before he goes into the love chapter. So probably you say, well, we know where the preacher's going. He's only got one verse there, but he's, he's heading into the love chapter. We're going to hear a sermon on love and all the things about love. Um, so uh, we'll just ask the Lord to give us guidance and direction this morning as we look at this word. Stand with me. We'll read that verse together. But covet earnestly, and this is in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Bow your heads for prayer. Lord, thank you for this word that we have. Lord, uh, we base our life on these words of scripture that have been preserved for us. Not just this one verse, but the word of God that is given to us. We know that makes us different than the world because the world does not use this book as their guide. I pray, dear Lord, you'll help us to be faithful to follow it. Help us to be faithful to follow you, dear Lord. Help us to be faithful to be in contact with you on a daily basis, not just once a day, but throughout the day that we'll reach out to you and ask for your grace and help for our lives. Lord, uh, speak to our hearts this morning. As I stand before this people, I realize how inadequate I am, dear Lord, to deliver this word, even though I've been trying to do it for a number of years. I know it's beyond me. I cannot do it. It's in your hands. So, Lord, if there's anything good accomplished this morning, it'll have to be because of the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit and applying the word to our hearts and for what you do we thank you for that praise you in the name of Jesus amen you may be seated so as I looked at this more excellent way uh, in my mind I think of of good better best but I, in my mind, I see excellent above that, <laughs> uh, or on the same plane as best. Uh, good, better, best, and if you say that's the best, then this is excellent. This is excellent. So I thought, well, uh, what does the NI, NIV say? Uh, it says, instead of a more excellent way, they say the most excellent way the most excellent way in the NIV. Um, uh, as I looked in my old Webster's, it's an old dictionary, but it says that the word superior was archaic. I don't know about that, uh, if I agree with Webster on that, because uh, superior, I think, is still a, a great word. And so I put that with what the NIV said, most excellent or superior 
far above all the others. Uh, we could say uh, it is surpassing. Uh, that describes this, surpassing. So uh, Paul has been dealing with situations in the Corinthian church. And believe me, as being a pastor for a number of years, I have seen a lot of situations. I have seen a lot of things that are very disappointing. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of blessed things. I've seen God do wonderful works and I don't dwell on the negative. Don't, don't go down that road because uh, the church is not an abysmal failure uh, Christ said that he was going to build his church, and he's doing that. But it's sad sometimes to see some of the, some of the pitfalls that uh, people have gone into uh, when they've started following their own desires instead of being fully devoted, devoted to the Lord and to his kingdom. That, in my thinking... Whatever your doctrine is, whatever your background is, uh, and we have, a, we have a splattering of people, even in our little group, that have come up through different denominations and have been exposed to different teachings. Uh, but to me, whatever your background, whatever, whatever your, your doctrinal thoughts are about uh, salvation and and uh, sanctification and so forth. Uh, it it is that first and foremost is God should have His way and have the glory. And when when we're in a church and a group of people, uh, it's it's not about one person having their way, or it's not about. Uh, somebody being a boss over everybody else. It, it's about following the Lord in such a way that, that there's harmony, that there's harmony. Uh, the scripture tells us that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 that uh, charity or love is the bond that holds things together. It says this, above all things, above all these things, put on charity. And you know charity is love. It's not just giving alms to the poor or helping people that are homeless. It is love. So he says, above all these things. Now, before this, he has said how we are a new person uh, in Christ. We are a new person. We have put on the new person. Verse 10 tells us a new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That's back in verse 10. And then he goes on where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, uh, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is all and in all. And then he says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, uh, 
tender mercies. My old King James says bowels of mercies. Means tender mercies. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. You know, forbearing one another means putting up with each other, doesn't it? Because all of us, in some points in our lives, have to just be tolerated. Because every one of us can be a pain at times. Uh, so forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Wow. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then it says, above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's the glue that should hold us all together, that we're concerned for one another, that we're serving one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the emphasis is not on the individual, it is on serving Christ and whatever we can do to glorify Him. So <clears throat> when Paul writes these words that he's going to show them a more excellent way, he goes into a description of love <coughs> which is if you if you read it and study it over it becomes almost an impossibility to think about living up to all of it and uh, the things that that he says you know what whatever he did it would not amount to anything if it wasn't if love wasn't the motivating factor. So in chapter 13, he says love suffers long. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't put itself out front. It's not puffed up. Doesn't act out. Isn't self-seeking. Isn't easily annoyed, thinketh no evil. Well, you know, thinketh no evil. I, I suppose I could get knocked down pretty easy there because sometimes first thoughts, you know, you're not thinking the best. Maybe you get it, get it under control eventually. How about beareth all things and you believe the best and you hope all things and you endure all things. Well, that can be that can be pretty tough. So Paul was talking here to people in a church that had quite a few problems. They were a church that had factions. Uh, some said we're of Paul. Some said we're of Apollos. Some said we're following Peter. And so they, they were split up as to who they were going to follow. Who's the greatest? That's what they were saying. <coughs> Who's the greatest? We're going to follow the greatest. Sometimes we have preachers that we think, you know, these are the, these are the ones to follow. 
<coughs> excuse me, I'm trying to drown this thing out if I can. Um, we have, you know, radio preachers and so forth. Sometimes, sometimes we have great, we put people up on a pedestal, don't we? I heard about one that uh, is a leader of a large group of people that some of the things he said didn't sound very scriptural. Uh, sounded like uh, he was overriding some of the prohibitions that are given in scripture, and I'm not going to name names because some of you know who I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, embracing the lifestyle that the Bible condemns. Uh, so it's, it's disappointing. We, we best not have our faith and trust in anyone but Jesus Christ. Yes, we can hold others in esteem and feel that uh, they're, they're doing the right thing, but our, our highest allegiance is not to a preacher or to a person. It's to Jesus Christ, and it's to what the Word says. And it's to stand on that regardless of what denominations say, regardless of what individuals say. It's to stand on that and say, I'm following Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That, that should be our mindset. So yes, they, they had factions. They had immorality. Uh, there were things going on. They had uh, disrespect for the Lord's Supper. Uh, they had confusion over gifts over what gifts were the best gifts, and oft times, uh, as you read it, you see where uh, it was, uh, what gift is going to make you the most important, uh, the most recognized, uh, the most powerful, and that certainly feeds to the illicit desires that can be in a person's life to try to get the glory to themselves, to try to uh, have the power, to try to have the most following so that uh, they can be the most recognized. Uh, so, yeah, Paul was dealing with quite a few situations in the church. Um, so, it's not about it's not about who's the biggest preacher, who's the most important. I told you that story, and the man has passed on now, but it was a story about uh, Bill Surbrook. He was, he was a big, big preacher. Uh, I mean size-wise. There was a lot of physical bulk to him. That's another way of saying he was fat. Uh, so uh, he was going to preach over at one of our churches, and, and uh, so the man got up to introduce him, <clears throat> and Bill William was in a pulpit chair like these, and uh, he, he introduced him, and he, and, he, and he didn't come up, and he looked around. Bill said, I can't get up. I'm stuck. <laughs> sat in the chair and his sides had come out under the arms of the chair <laughs> and he was too big to get himself dislodged 
and get up. So I guess at that point he was the biggest preacher in the, in the church. Uh, but that's certainly not where the emphasis is on who's, who's the biggest, who's the most recognized or whatever. It's to follow Christ and do his will. So Paul said what we need to do is we need to follow the way of love. We need to follow the way of love. And John talks about it in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16 through 19. He talks about being made perfect in love. Now there's a lot of different discussions about what that can mean. Uh, being made perfect in love, perfect love casts out fear. So if you look in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, it says this, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, verse 19, because he first loved us. Can we hear an amen on that? Amen. amen. He's the one that initiated it. And so... Um, this is not a foreign idea that John expresses here because Jesus talked about loving God supremely and he spoke, it's, it's scripture that's from the Old Testament, but remember in Matthew 22 and verse 37 that Jesus was asked the question about the greatest commandment and he answered that, uh, and it says uh, the Pharisees heard about the questions that were put to Jesus, and then a lawyer stood up and, and tested him or tempted him. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And that's in Matthew 22, reading at verse 36 now, it says Jesus... Uh, when Jesus was asked that question, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so, uh, John Wesley preached on that text a great deal. Uh, I read in the Wesley Study Bible that uh, at least 12 times in the, the book, The Plain Account of Christian Perfection, uh, John Wesley refers to that. And uh, it's, he says it is loving God supremely. And that is what that says. The love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, that definitely means that the Lord is in first place. Uh, 
if you love God that way, there's not room for anything else, is there? Except love for God. Jesus said, if we love Him supremely, then as we read in the scripture, we see that all other love trickles down from that. I tell uh, couples, and I don't do much of that anymore because I haven't, I haven't done a wedding in a, in a while, but I tell them that human love runs out. It does. Human love runs out. There's not a, there's not a reservoir of endless reserve for human love. Um, I heard one uh, psychologist uh, say uh, about the old country song that he had heard, <clears throat> how can I know I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> is, that, is that deep? <laughs> you're, you're laughing because you... You know what, what, what I mean and what the song means. <clears throat> it means sometime you need a little space, don't you? <laughs> you need a little space. Uh, just, just give me a little breathing room here. Uh, just, just back off a little bit. Uh, run around with a, a girlfriend. Run around with your guy friends a little bit. And just give me a little breathing room here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I still love you the same as I've always loved you, but uh, I, just, I just need to be able to have a little time. So human love does run out, and human love is limited. But when we love God supremely, put our faith and trust in him, he is an endless reservoir of love, and he feeds back into our lives so that we can love those that are around about us, some of them that are not so lovable, some of them that are hard to love, some of them that stretch us and stress us, and we wonder how we can deal with some of the things that they bring into our lives. But... Yes, uh, John Wesley said that, that that is, in essence, what our relationship to God is, uh, that we should love him supremely. He should be in first place, and that's what, that's what Jesus taught. And then Jesus said the second commandment was like to it, didn't he? Which is love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and commandments hang on these. And that can be preached very easily, that all the, all the commandments hang on those two, as Jesus said. And so, <clears throat> um, there is a place where we can come of surrender, uh, surrender ourselves to the full love of God. Uh, if we are in control of our lives, and I know God doesn't come down and sign the papers when we're buying a house and things like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seeking his will and his way in our lives. There have been a lot of people 
that have done foolish things that on afterthought they've said, why did I do that? And what we ought to do is seek the Lord's will in our lives, even in the little decisions, that what does he want us to do? Uh, how does he want us to how does he want us to approach a problem, a difficulty, a situation? And so when we talk about about putting him in first place, it is to say, uh, I am I am going to surrender myself fully to you. And of course, I'm talking to Christian people now. I'm talking to Christian people. I'm not talking to, to the world. I'm talking to Christian people that we need to come to a place, if we haven't arrived there, where we say, I trust you. Now, you know, if, if uh, Tom came up to me this morning and said, uh, I, need, I need $20, <clears throat> I'd give Tom $20 if I had $20. I think I got $20. Uh, I would give him $20. I, I wouldn't say, well, why do you need it? What are you going to do with it? I, I, would, I would trust him. I'd just give it to him. And whatever, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, that is the way we should be with the Lord when the Lord puts it on our heart to do something, to give something, to walk in a certain course, to be obedient to him. We don't have to say, show me all about it. Uh, show me what's going to happen and show me, show me how, how this is all going to wind up. If we're really surrendered to the Lord, if we're really fully dedicated to the Lord, then we say we're yours. And what we have is yours. Uh, my goods, my finance, they're yours. So if you put it on my heart to do something, and I know it's you talking to me. Now, I'm not talking about every time somebody makes an appeal and, you know, a church appeal or whatever it is. Uh, I'm talking about when the Lord speaks to our heart. And, you know, we live in, we live in a time where there's, you've heard a lot about the prosperity gospel. Uh, you, you give so much and you're going to get so much back. Uh, I'm so, certainly not talking about that. I'm talking about when God speaks to your heart about something that he wants you to do and you feel this is God speaking, this is what God wants me to do and you say, yes, I will do that. Sometimes it's just a matter of obedience on a daily basis uh, that we are going to do what we know is right as the Lord guides and directs us and he's going to work in our lives. Uh, it does take some faith to tell the Lord that you want him to be in control. That's what Romans 12.1 talks about, isn't it? Where, where Paul urges the people of Rome in 12.1, he begs them, Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And so that, we would say, is a full consecration, committing yourself to the Lord. He talks about not being conformed to the world, but that, that is to say, because Christ has saved you, because you know you can trust him 100%, you give yourself to him. And then the scripture tells us that if we love God this way, we make a full surrender of our lives to him, that we can come to a place where we say, Lord, just come into my life, come into my heart, and yes, you've saved me, you've forgiven me, but help me that all in all things I will be submitted and open to you. Um, Brother Tom talked to us, Reverend Young talked to us last week about what happened in the garden and about the disobedience. We're told that when that happened, that it was not just an act of disobedience that happened, but then there was, as it were, a, a, a mindset that became a part of humanity. And it is called the fleshly mind. And it is something that every denomination talks about how it's going to be dealt with. So we talk about sin as being in two parts. Sin is not only committed acts, but it's also the dispensation or the disposition, I should say, of the will. And that all committed acts of sin come from the mindset or the carnal mind. And there are all kinds of ways that people think about in dealing with this. Uh, the, uh, the Roman Catholic believes that this, there's residual sin, but it's dealt with in the fires of purgatory. Uh, others believe that it's the time of death that it is dealt with. Uh, that when you die, uh, death becomes the, the purger of this sin nature or this sin mind, carnal mind. Uh, it's not that the body itself is evil. The body is vile. The body is corruptible, isn't it? The body, the body has to be washed. The body has to be deodorized uh, because the body does suffer corruption and we have different things that attach to our human body. So, but the body itself is just a vehicle. Uh, the body itself is not evil. Uh, that's why one of these days we're going to get a glorified body, aren't we? That's not susceptible to uh, the disease and crippling and all that goes on in this world. But the body itself is just a vehicle. So we couldn't, if we... Uh, said, you know, you see, uh, you see that town and country out there that the preacher drives. Uh, if you see it out at one of the, one of the joints and uh, you know it's a place of immorality and so forth, you wouldn't say, well, that 
that car took the preacher there. That car's evil. Uh, that, so that, that car is wicked. Uh, the preacher, the preacher drove that car there. It wasn't the car's fault, but, you know, some people blame the body. You know, it's, it's the body. It's, it's what, it's what uh, is the natural uh, tendencies of the body. Well, the body does have desires. The body does have appetites. But they can be directed, just like you can steer that car. Uh, you can direct and you can guide the appetites of the body. So... The idea is that we need to totally give ourselves to God and ask for his direction in our lives. Uh, Romans 8 actually tells us that the old fleshly mind, or the carnal mind, as I said, sin is not only committed acts, it's also a disposition. And so the carnal mind is referred to in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. And it says this, because the, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now it's talking about a spiritual, Paul's talking about a spiritual rebirth that deals with when we totally abandon ourselves to the will of God, deals with the old propensities, with the old mindset, and it's called carnality. And you remember a few weeks ago I took you to Corinthians there, and the Corinthians had a problem with carnality. Paul said, you are yet carnal. And so... When we yield ourselves fully to the Lord, no, we can't deal with that, but the Holy Spirit can. And so we need to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and cleansing us of that sin propensity. Now, like I said, there are different denominations that deal with this in different ways. Uh, we are Wesleyan Arminian, and we believe that the Holy Spirit can come in and he can deal with that old nature and set us free. Dr. Tom Hermes said, you are a fortunate people if you're in a church service where they preach about deliverance from the old carnal or fleshly habits or demonstrations. What are you talking about? I'm talking about temper tantrums. I'm talking about temper tantrums. Um, well, no Christian has temper tantrums. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah, they can be pretty ugly. Um, I, I could put a name on a person. Like I said, I've been in a church for a number of years. Uh, they, would, they would get mad. Uh, they would go out the door take the granddaughter with them, not be back until they got over it, and it took a while. Um, they would go up the miff tree. You don't hear much about the miff tree anymore, do you? You don't even know what the miff tree is. 
Yeah, Doris does. She's nodding her head. People get miffed. They get upset over something that's done. Somebody, somebody looks at them the wrong way. Uh, the preacher says something and it, it hits them wrong. And, and so they're miffed. So they used to call it going up the miff tree. Uh, one preacher we had said he was going to take an axe and cut the miff tree down <laughs> with them in it. Well, that's bad, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, you know, the Lord can deal with that. The Lord can sweeten you up. You can, you can have an experience like happened to them on the day of Pentecost, and I'm not saying wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit because he's already here. And we're already initially sanctified when we're saved. But, but Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says we can be sanctified through and through. And so, if you want, you can ask the Lord to do that. Now, Nelson Perdue will be here in revival. Nelson Perdue can tell you that he wasn't a Christian very long before he realized that he needed to have that dealt with in his life. And so he came and asked the Lord to deal with that. And the Lord heard his prayer and sanctified him through and through. Does that mean you can't sin? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you can never backslide? No, it doesn't mean that. But it, my dad used to call it driving another stake. Uh, you know, you putting a tent up, double stake, you got, you got a little more stability, a little more security. And so that's what he called it. Now, I believe in this because it's worked in people's lives. And I want to give you a Bible example first. You know how uh, emotional Peter could be and how, how he would jump at something and how he could show his emotions. <coughs> Can you imagine if Peter had not been sanctified wholly on the day of Pentecost? It did not make his decisions entirely right. He did not always do what was right after he was sanctified wholly. It does not, it does not make your thinking 100% correct all the time. That's why you need to be humble and be willing to take correction and direction because we can all mess up and even a preacher can mess up and needs to be shown that this is a better way to do something. So Peter was at the day of Pentecost. Peter, Peter had his heart purified by faith and that is evidenced when you read Acts chapter 15 and you look at verse 7, it says that that's what God did. And he did it for those that were at Pentecost, and he did it after that. He cleansed their heart by faith. So we're not talking about forgiveness, because you can't forget, be forgiven of something that is a part of your mind. You can be forgiven for something that you have 
committed, a committed act of sin. So we're talking about a cleansing. We're talking about a cleansing from this carnal mind in Romans 8, 7, or the same thing that was afflicting the Corinthians. So I don't want to get too far out here and lose all of you. So I want to tell you that Peter messed up. Now, uh, the Bible tells us in Galatians, and you can turn to it if you want to, Galatians chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 7, and I'm going to read some verses following that, and you'll see what God did for Peter when he was sanctified holy and and God took care of, of the emotional problems that he had with anger. Verse 7 says, but contrary wise, when they, this is talking about the pillars of the church, saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, we're talking about the gospel to the heathen, was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. What's the gospel of the circumcision? It was to the Jews. The Jews were the people, the promised people of God. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, or to the Jews, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James Cephas is Peter, when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and to Barnabas and, and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. That means they supported us. That we should go unto the heathen, the non-Jewish people, and they unto the circumcision or the Jews. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Antioch is where they were first called Christians, remember? I withstood him, Peter, to the face because he was to be blamed. Peter messed up. Peter made a mistake. It says, For before that certain came from James, James was the head of the Jerusalem church, so he was over the Jews, as it were. He did eat with the Gentiles, or with the heathen. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. He was afraid of his reputation being marred and so he would not company with people like Warren Goble that was not a Jew or or Dennis McWilliams they he separated and he just stayed with the Jews and the other Jews followed his example they dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with the, their dissimulation. Barnabas was messed up too when he saw 
Peter, the big man, Peter preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost. He saw what Peter did, so he did the same thing. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, didn't talk behind his back, folks, confronted him right to his face, and it was in front of all of them. He didn't take him over in the corner. He said it in front of everybody. If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So he's bringing up the subject that they should be following the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it shouldn't be according to whether you're a, a Jew or a heathen, that all of us are one, as I read earlier. So he confronted him, but I want to tell you, there wasn't a riff. There wasn't a, there wasn't a temper tantrum. There wasn't a, I'll have nothing to do with Paul because he called me down. Peter just straightened up. Later on, when he's writing, he said, Paul's writing the gospel, writing things that are hard to be understood. Some people twist them. So you understand what I'm telling you? There wasn't a temper tantrum when he got called down because Peter had perfect love in his heart. He had this more excellent way. Now, I want to give you another example. <clears throat> Once in a while I read to you, but not very much. <clears throat> this is a book put out, The Trials and Triumphs of Thomas E. Hermes. Now, we had a general superintendent that was Thomas H. That was his son. This is E, his father. His father's family was put to death. Thomas E. Hermes' family was put to death by the Muslims. And only by a miracle of God, uh, he got out of Turkey as uh, a young man, got to the United States. This We're talking about his father. Uh, joined the military, who was in World War I, I recall, at the time, in the United States, fought against the Muslims, and became a naturalized citizen of the United States. But his son was still over in Turkey, or in the Middle East, and had been shifted around with different people after the martyrdom of Thomas E. Hermes' mother. So it would be uh, the grandmother of Thomas H. <laughs> Are you with me? So... Just a little background. You don't have to understand it all. If you want to read the book, I'll let you read the book. Uh, but it's, it's uh, quite a story on how uh, they would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were killed. And so uh, this man's, this man's uh, uh, situation was shifted from person to person until finally... 
uh, by miracle of God, his father was able to get through the Red Cross and get him, and because uh, his father was a naturalized citizen, they brought him over to the United States. And so <clears throat> the year of 1938 brought a great tragedy into my life. Now, we're already talking about he saw his, he saw or saw the results of his family being martyred. He has gone on, this man being brought to the United States has found Christ as his Savior and is living for the Lord and is called into the ministry. This is, this is our general superintendent's father and he had, a, he had a great mind, he was a great man. Uh, he wrote what we believe, uh, which is still in use today. Some parts may have been changed, but Thomas E. Hermes wrote that and was a part of the General Board of Trustees of the Church of Christ Christian Union. So he's a pastor and he has this in his background that his family was martyred for their Christian faith. He says, now, listen to this, the year of 1938 brought a great tragedy into my life. On August 13th of that year, my father was shot by a man in Diamond, Ohio, not far from Youngstown. He had a quarrel with a friend over a dog, and they had a scuffle. They were separated, and each man went towards his house. According to my stepmother, before father reached home, he decided to go to the other man's house and make peace with him. But within 25 feet of the man's house, the man came out with a revolver and shot him. My father was unarmed. This hit me hard. I felt a burden for him for more. He had felt a burden for his father for more than a month and had our church people pray for him. Several felt they had prayed through for his salvation, and I certainly felt that I had. On the evening of August 13th, where we were having an evening snack, when around 11 o'clock the telephone rang, the message was <clears throat> that my father had been shot. Furthermore, <coughs> he had died in the ambulance before they could get him to the hospital in Salem, Ohio. That night, my brother-in-law, Marion Harris, drove me to the place where my father's body lay in the funeral home in Newton Falls. As I lay in the back seat, I thought of the many times I had told audiences that I had completely forgiven the Muslims who had killed my mother. This was remote in comparison to this that had just occurred. How did I feel towards the man who had murdered my father? I felt no hate for the man in my heart, though I hated his deed. In fact, I told the Lord that if I should meet the man, I would offer him the love of God to the best of my ability. This never happened. And without reading on, there were no charges brought back to them against the man because they said by, by 
Thomas Hermes' father going back that it could have looked like a threat. And so the man, the man had a good attorney and it never went to grand jury. It was deemed as possible self-defense. But I read that to emphasize the fact that if God is loved supremely in our heart, even when those things come, we can, we can forgive. And we don't have to live under the ongoing temper tantrums and eruptions that can happen. Yes, yeah, sometimes they happen in board meetings. I'm not saying here. I said I've been in the church for years. But they can happen in board meetings that people, people get upset. And instead of letting the, the peace of God rule in the heart and loving God supremely, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and saying, you know, doesn't have to be my way as long as, as, long as God gets the glory. We're going to keep moving the church forward. And I'm going to do all I can do to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. We have to keep that, folks. We have to remember that. And it's not the most important job to stand and, and be on, and on the platform. The most important job is to be faithful where God has put you and to love one another. Remember that love is the bond or the glue that holds us all together. And if our hearts are fully devoted to the Lord, and I preach this because where I read uh, in an excerpt from John Wesley in Daniel Steele's book, and that's not the late author of I think she writes romances, or he does, or something. Is that right? There's a Daniel Steele that was an old holiness preacher back in the 1800s. And uh, <clears throat> he quoted John Wesley that many of the churches that he started, he saw great growth unless this love, supreme love to God, was neglected. If the supreme love to God and being fully dedicated to the Lord was not preached, then the church fell off. And so it's not just a sideline, folks. It's important. It's important that we fully give ourselves to the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit and let him do his work in our lives. You don't have to direct him. He knows what to do if you let him in and he's fullness. He knows, he knows exactly what he wants to accomplish in your life. So that's why I preach this. I don't want you to be at all mistaken if somebody would ever say to you, does your church preach that you can be sanctified holy? I want you to say, yes. I hear the preacher preach on that once in a while. It doesn't, you know, that's important because... If I don't sound it out, if I don't preach it, it may, take, it may take you a year, two years to begin to understand it or for God to deal in your heart to say, you know, I need this because I, I need something more than I've got. Like one guy would say, you need another dip, you know. Uh, 
you need a little more than you got. Uh, well, I got another illustration I could give, but I'm not going to because, you know, I think I've done said what the Lord wants me to say. So I encourage you this morning, be obedient to the Lord. Follow the Lord. Make him first and foremost. You know, old preacher Goble won't always be here. We're all moving through life. And others, others will come, but I want to be faithful in the place that God has put me for this time. Let's stand together.